You're listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network, featuring political interviews, reports, and rants from around the state. Uh, this is Jay Mack with Safest Houses, and we're going to be doing other podcasts. We talked to Andy Herod yesterday, which, of course, is all on the same day because I'll be posting this at the same time. Uh, I'm sitting with David Hamilton now, who is also running for the District 8 seat um, that's vacated by States McCarter's resignation. And uh, David, um, tell us a little about yourself. I know you're an insurance salesman in town, and, and I think actually you and I have the our our, our sp- relationship with our spouse and where we're from are the reverse. Because my wife's from Savannah, and I'm from Augusta, and y'all have you're the reverse of that. That's exactly right. Um, first off, thanks for being here. Appreciate mm-hmm. you coming by today. I grew up in Savannah, and my wife Sarah grew up in Augusta, well Metro Augusta, Evans, Columbia County area. Mm-hmm. We both came here for the university. I, I arrived here a few years <laughs> earlier than she did, uh, but she came over, went two years at the university, and then transferred to the Medical College of Georgia, the nursing program, and, and is now an RN at Athens Regional. When I came up here from Savannah, I started off with the intention of going to vet school, and then my uh, advisor explained a little thing called organic chemistry to me and, and unfortunately impeded those plans significantly. So I asked, well, what can I do where I don't have to take advanced calculus and organic chemistry? She said, well, you better start looking at a, a Bachelor of Arts degree. So I, I, I did. And fortunately, I was always very interested in history and wound up in the history program at UGA and graduated with a degree in history. For a while, the intention was to teach high school um, for about two years. I think my sophomore and junior year at the university, I was enrolled at the same time in a teacher certification program through the College of Education, concurrent with the history degree in the history uh, department. And they dropped the certification program before I was able to finish it. And they said, if you want to get any teaching certification from us, you have to get an education degree. So that, that changed those plans a little bit wound up um, staying in the history department, really enjoyed it. In fact, I've got several of my former professors as neighbors now, <laughs> and uh, it's it's interesting to still have a good relationship with those folks. It, it's always unusual to run into them. Uh, if you run into a professor that you had, and you always wonder, do you remember me? I mean, I was the obscure student in this class. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. And some of them remember, some of them don't. We, I'm the current president of the Homeowners Association here in Cedar Creek, and one of our one of the duties of the president is to write a monthly newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to do a few over the past couple years. We've tried to introduce a few programs to get some more involvement from the people in the neighborhood as far as contributing to the newsletter. And one of the ideas I had was to do sort of a stories from Cedar Creek series where people, there's a lot of families that have lived here 30 plus years, some mm-hmm. 40 years and we wanted to start soliciting some memories from those people that have been here a long time that moved here when you know these were all dirt roads and this was considered the boondocks back in the (laughs) 60s which it was actually they called it the yankee ghetto because when uga had a big boom in the 60s this is you know i wasn't around then but my as the as the story has been told to me uga went through a tremendous growth period in the 60s and they were recruiting professors and young academics from all over the country to come to Athens and people were moving here and there was nowhere to live. So the development of Cedar Creek and, 
and Green Acres and a lot of the neighborhoods in the 8th yeah. District was directly related to the explosion of growth that UGA underwent over the past 30, 40 years. Yeah. And a lot of those folks still live here. Mm-hmm. Roundabout getting to, we tried to, we, we've, we've been trying to solicit some written stories of people's memories of when mm-hmm. they moved here, what it was like. In that process, I've determined that there are several of my old history professors here. <laughs> and what I'm always telling them is, you know, that it's it's a good position to be when, when the roles are reversed, but I'm yeah. asking you yeah. to turn in a paper to me instead <laughs> of the other way around. So. But yeah, and it, um, I, like I said, graduated with that degree in history. At the same time, I had talked about it a little bit on the blog, but um, about halfway through college, I've always played, music's always been a big part of my life. I've always played music, grew up playing the piano. And always was a kid in high school that was in bands or looking to start a band, that kind of thing. And Got to Athens and this was just sort of a music mecca yeah. and there was always something to do if you knew how to pick up an instrument. Yeah. But about two years into college, I got pretty heavily involved in, in one band in particular and we, we played together for seven or eight years and mm-hmm. had a tour bus and drove all around the southeast. And what was the name of this band? It's called Posh Toner. Okay. It was a reggae band, actually. Really? Yeah. So, but because I, I look at you and I definitely see reggae artists. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, with the four foot dreadlocks. And, and so we've got some uh, incense burning over here in the corner right now. Y'all can't see that, but so it was. It, we were definitely the atypical reggae band because it was. Uh, the size of the band ranged from five to eight people, but it was always basically five to eight white guys up on stage with short haircuts and people would see reggae in the paper and they'd come to the show and say, they don't look like a reggae band. So it was more, I always told folks it was more UB40 and meets the police kind of song. Yeah. Or there's a, there's a band called the samples that's been playing for a long time that I always thought was, had a lot of similarity to, similarities to what we did. Loved it. Had the time of my life. There was nothing like, you know, being at being in Birmingham, Alabama at 30 in the morning, loading your gear up and knowing you've got to drive all the way back to Athens and be at work at you know, <laughs> eight o'clock in the morning. So, but it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It, it was, it was the Athens experience. Oh yeah. Definitely. And it was a great contributor to why I stayed in Athens because I wanted to, you know, keep doing that, living that lifestyle. I was able to, uh, get a job working in the insurance business, a history degree is an interesting coursework and for me it was, I really enjoyed the study, but when you get out of school and you're just holding a Bachelor of Arts in History, it doesn't exactly yeah. uh, grease the skids for heading in, in, one, in, in any one particular direction, but having a degree you know, enabled me to apply for jobs that, um, you know, where that was definitely a requirement, they didn't really care so much what you had. And I wound up working for a local insurance agent, and that that sort of started all that. He was he, he's to this day still one of my best friends, and was very accommodating of the rock star lifestyle, <laughs> you know, with the goatee and the ponytail. At one time that I had, and he he didn't care. He thought it was fun. They came to all the shows, and was very supportive, and it, very blessed, very fortunate to have to have that in my life. Because I was able to sort of live a dual lifestyle, you know, it's like kind of like Batman or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the secret, the secret after hours life, and then during the day you put on the veil of professionalism. <laughs> Casual insurance salesman by day. That's exactly right. That's reggae exactly rock star. Right. So, but that uh, that has morphed into me owning my own. Over the mm-hmm. past, you know, ten years has morphed into me owning my own business. And, okay. and, um, and and how long have you had the business? Um, well, I, uh, let's see. It was. 
2000 when okay. that when when that agency was purchased, and I've been in the insurance industry since '98. Okay, um, so almost 10 years in ins- in the insurance business, and it's allowed to you know pay the bills and buy a house and get married. But at the same time, if the guys ever call up and say, Hey, you feel like playing a gig again? You know, we say, ah, sure. No problem. But now the only difference is I've got a basement that we can rehearse in. Instead of some garage somewhere. Exactly. Keeping your neighbors up in your apartment. Exactly. Uh, well, we got a couple, a couple issues, um, that, uh, like I said, um, have been submitted by, uh, some folks who run the other blogs around here, some folks who live on the in the in the eighth district and over here on the east side. Some of the things that they're mattering. Some of them are general. Some of them are very specific, in particular to some things going on now. So, um, I'll lead off with uh, the uh, the first one, which is sort of actually in kind of an old and somewhat closed issue, but for some reason it keeps popping up with a lot of people. Um, if you remember the uh, La Porta, the the soul issue from from last year, that was. That generated a lot of response, um, a lot of folks. Where did you stand when that was going on, on, on that issue? I mean, did you support Bruno Rubio's request to redevelop that Kofor space and develop that mixed-use location? Sarah and I have always been big fans of Mr. Rubio's restaurant. Um, when he first started out as Caliente Cab during the Olympics was when I first started eating there and enjoyed that as that morphed into a uh, more permanent location on Tallahassee Road. And then from there, his restaurant that was on Prince was one of our favorite places to mm-hmm. eat. I spent a lot of time in Central America and developed a, a, a affection for their food. <laughs> yeah, some of the cuisine and, and it was definitely one of the few places you could find that was very similar to the mm-hmm. culinary experience that you get uh, mm-hmm. like in Central I've never been to South America but in Central America at least. Mm-hmm. So always a big fan of his restaurants and definitely a big fan of him and the way they run their businesses and their their business practices uh, it's just a energetic neat experience mm-hmm. to go into some of his restaurants and, and you see why people have the affection for um, him and for his businesses that they do right. uh, the the La Puerta del Sol on this side of town was was definitely a divisive um, motivating occurrence that that application to rezone on that restaurant mobilized a lot of people who felt very strongly about the issue. And there are multiple sides to that argument. Some, some of the facets, some of the arguments against the restaurant that were raised, I don't think were fair to Mr. Rubio or very valid long range concerns. And I understand how, I understand why some people were, really upset about the concept of selling alcohol close to Cedar Shoals High School. Uh, and that, that seemed to get a lot of, a lot of the attention it got in the paper mm-hmm. was related to some of the more vocal folks that were, that mm-hmm. were, that that was the basis of their, mm-hmm. um, there was a whole nother side to that, that I don't feel ever really got the, never, never really saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. And I, there are 652 houses in this neighborhood and I talk to folks all the time in my role on the, uh, you know, on the board for the association. And we know a lot of people around here and everybody had an opinion about that development. And I can't remember one neighbor that I talked to out here and we're talking mm-hmm. out of hundreds that said they supported that development. Mm-hmm. And the reason and overwhelmingly what we were hearing 
and, and I, I definitely understand it, was not the argument about the alcohol or the proximity to the school or the traffic, because those are all issues that can be addressed on a on the level of code enforcement, traffic management. Th- those are issues that can be controlled similar to, I mean, we've got Johnny's Pizza over here now mm-hmm. in Ansonboro selling beer, and you could throw a rock and hit Hits the elementary school. Yeah. The elementary oh, school right there and the Cedar Shoals right. on the other yeah. side. So, the, you know, handled correctly, those, those, those con- they're valid concerns. They're valid concerns, but they're manageable mm-hmm. concerns. The bigger picture about the development of the Cedar Shoals corridor and the long-term future of the Cedar Shoals corridor is an aspect of that that I heard the most protest, the most vocal opponents were saying, saying what I'm telling you right now. I like Mr. Rubio. I like Mr. Rubio's restaurant, but I don't know if Cedar Shoals Drive, if that's the future that we want to see down Cedar Shoals Drive. And a lot of the concern is the the vision that was shown to the mayor and commission and shown to you know with, with the the ideal drawing that they did of what that restaurant's going to look like is a is a big vision it's a mm-hmm. broad sweeping you know idea that he's got mm-hmm. over there and it's going to take a lot of money to make that work and a lot of money to start that process they had to rezone this property well the concerns that I've heard overwhelmingly out here are, okay, we start that process, we, we grant the rezoning on the property, but what happens when he can't make that panoramic vision, if he can't make that panoramic mm-hmm. vision a reality? And it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking millions of dollars to acquire the land and develop it as he mm-hmm. has... Because it, it, it's renovating shown. an existing space, so there's going to be additional resources that have to go into convert that space that's right that's right and that's only a small the existing space is only a small part of the Mm -hmm. vision that you know and i don't i'm not clear if it was ever actually and you you might know if it was ever actually an an official plan development to when i've seen plan developments i've seen page after page Mm -hmm. of of you know plats and elevation drawings that have down to the inch the height of the lights the space of the you know the width of the parking spaces you know how many feet right. are between shrubs and things i never saw anything like that i don't know if that exists for that for that development or not um i, I, I can't recall seeing that but uh <clears throat> I, I don't so i mean, i really can't speak back i don't recall if that was ever up there i would i would imagine there was something similar to that though or yeah. there was there was some semblance of that but I, yeah. I i can't speak to that though well the plan you know a plan development it it's a, it's a great concept if, if, you know, you've got a plan development that controls every facet of, and the community is able to say, you know, this is what we want it to look like. We're okay with this down to the height of the light posts and things. I understand that concept. If, if the question is, is it, is it that plan development, which is going to cost millions and millions of dollars, or is it nothing happening? Because if you, if you can either do one or you can, if you either can do that or you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. The question then becomes, well, if in the future he can't do anything there, but we've rezoned that property and started that process mm-hmm. and allowing subsequent, you know, it's not his development that's the concern. It's the, it's the trend of setting, of, of opening up that area to the less restrictive zoning because of what may come in the future. The subsequent mm-hmm. lack of protection that the zoning allowed us previously the Cedar Shoals corridor, you know, when they built Cedar Shoals High School, it was a dirt road. Mm-hmm. Folks that live out here, we talked 
earlier about all the families that lived in this neighborhood for 30, 40 years. They've been here through that entire process, seeing the east side, seeing this district turn from what used to be the boondocks. You know, it wasn't part of Athens. It was mm-hmm. Clark County, but it wasn't part of Athens. I mean, Whitehall down here, just a few miles down the road, was considered a separate city yeah. for a long time. So people came here when it when that's when it had that feel. This was mm-hmm. you know a small, quiet suburban area, and then we've gradually seen over the past 20, 30 years. This development come in, we've seen the Barnett-Shoals Corridor, which where the Kroger and uh, the church and where Forest Road and all that comes into Barnett-Shoals down there with the sort of the, the backbone of the service industry type businesses that we have around here. That looked like what Gaines School looks like now, which is, you know, houses, um, house developments up to the road, you know, a narrower road. Well, that development over there preceded in just a rampant fashion and now we've got fast food restaurants grocery stores you know retail centers mm-hmm. several years ago the folks in cedar creek in particular fought extremely hard and extremely vocally to for this the special district overlay that we now have on Gaines school road mm-hmm. the reason they did that is because they said we know we see the difference between how Gaines school looks between barnett shoals and lexington road mm-hmm. we see how that looks right now and we see how Barnett Shoals looks from what is now the Eckerd out towards the Jotham Down out that way. Right. We don't want this stretch of road to wind up looking like that stretch of road. So let's start a process of what can we do to protect it. That's the same mentality. That's the That's- same thinking that made people question, okay, Cedar Shoals is no is really not that much different from the Gaines School Corridor. Mm-hmm. Gaines School connects Lexington, Barnett Shoals. But when you start talking, when you throw Oglethorpe County and the Walmart and everything, all that development that's going to come mm-hmm. out that way in the mix, you're looking at Whit Davis Road and Cedar Shoals Road as suddenly becoming um, a massive corridor and a thoroughfare for people trying mm-hmm. to get to, you know, more towards over where Eckerd and cut through Barnett Shoals mm-hmm. and instead of going down Lexington and cutting that way. And you have the potential for what people for a, a recurrence mm-hmm. of what residents have seen happen on Barnett Shoals over here in front of the Kroger. And I think that's the, you know, the concerns that I heard were we don't want Cedar Shoals to look that way. We want Cedar Shoals to be a more controlled environment, a, you know, office, um, small controlled retail. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the question is, is that rezoning, one step towards losing the character of Cedar Shoals, that residential office type character that it's got. And, and suddenly when we talk about Whit Davis and this opening up that whole corridor transitioning much more into a, into a very commercialized mm-hmm. space, the issue was not the restaurant itself. Or it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much particulars of the aesthetics or the noise or the proximity it was, it was more from, from what I get from you. It, it seems to be more of, of what to do along that corridor, how that's to plan best for that corridor. That's future. right. And and the the fear that folks had was that we we you you start that process and it's hard to stop. Mm-hmm. And that that process was started for a, a great concept for a restaurant and for some neat retail space over there. I love the aesthetic of it. I like the design. It's it's cool. 
And if it's over there, we're going to hop on our bike there and eat dinner on a regular basis because it's better than having to drive all the way out to Tallahassee <laughs> Road if you live over here. And, it, you know, without question. But the that right now we're all in the big ifs. I mean, he that property's been sold for a, quite a while now. And you drive by and look at it, Jonathan, it's still just sitting there. Nothing's mm-hmm. happening. And the amount of money that had to have been paid for it, I haven't I haven't looked it up. You can go online and figure out mm-hmm. what, what was paid for it. But you're talking you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just of debt service alone right now just to have the property sit there with nothing going on. And it's not nothing's going on because the government's not acting or because he can't get his zoning. He's got everything he needs to get started. That process can start. But the vision is such a broad, huge vision. It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take money. I understand those things. The fear that people have is that those impediments are going to open the door to, well, we gave it a good go, but... He we can't do it. Sucks for who might not have that's such right. a vision. We can't make it work, is. but, you know, and I'm, I'm probably exaggerating with this comment, but, you know, we can't make it work, but, hey, Hooters can. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's just, I'm just making sure. a point that sure. I'm not you know sure. specifically sure. that, but you see you see you see what I'm saying. So, um, and that, that that's why that issue was so much more complicated than uh, you know is he you know are high school kids going to be wandering over there and getting drunk on their lunch break? Mm-hmm. That's not what that issue is about. Mm-hmm. That's not what that issue is about. Okay. Um, we're gonna roll on here. Um, this is sort of a, like it's a two part question. Um, the one is the the general concept um, involving uh, plans to promote alternative transportation in town, you know, everything from the, from the bus to, to bike lanes to multi-use pathways um, to possibly the uh, commuter rail that gets battered around back and forth here and there, um, how to promote a vision of alternative transportation to the, and then I guess more specifically, um, some of your thoughts regarding the uh, the park and ride lot that the commission is, is weighing right now, because I know that there's there's some discussion and there's some debate of, of where the best location for that is. Mm-hmm. So um, you can break down that general then specific for me. Sure. No, the, the future of alternative transportation is is all of our future here in Athens. I don't think anybody honestly believes that we can sustain the level of automobile usage that we all do right now. And it with gas prices with you know all the environmental concerns we have got to be moving away as a as a society as a whole you know as a culture and then as the micro you know Athens Athens is always the seed because of the way we think in Athens and because of you know how involved and informed our residents are Athens is always sort of the seed of change in this area and it's going to be up to us to set a model that 30 years from now, people are going to say, well, you know, the world has changed and we're all scrambling to keep up. And Athens acknowledged this, you know, 30, 40 years ago and started making the right decisions to move away from automobile transportation, move more towards people-oriented and people-centric type transportation. This is a large process. Mm -hmm. What we're dealing with right now and I, I blogged about this a little bit, we have grown out of our infrastructure because it all occurred, it occurred after the fact. Mm-hmm. The growth came, suddenly people started building businesses up right up to the, to the streets and you know their parking lots came first. And then we realized 
wow, we're at capacity on our roads. Mm-hmm. Our road, Barnett Shoals Road, cannot handle mm-hmm. the traffic that all of a sudden is dumped on it because of the growth that, that we've that we've experienced. Well, let's start thinking outside the box and what can we do with you know bike lanes and pedestrian walkways. But then all of a sudden we look, you take a look at it and you realize, well, we're limited by who owns the land, by all the restrictions of access and ingress and egress. We are we're 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 stuck because we didn't address this twenty and thirty years ago. Stuck with um, the problems that we could have prevented, but people didn't. I mean, back in the you know the seventies and the eighties and you know longer ago, people were not. People were not thinking along those lines. People were thinking, you live out in the suburbs, you get in your car and you drive the eight miles or the six miles into work mm-hmm. and you park and you walk in. Our mindset has completely changed. Mm-hmm. But, and and that's, that's great. That's the first step. That's absolutely the first step. Mm-hmm. The next step has to be a long-term vision and a long-term plan to reassess how we use our roadways and how we use our, you know, our just transportation in general and how we interact with our neighborhoods and our businesses. And it, it's, it, it's great that we're moving towards a system and, and the system that, you know, I envision and I know a lot of people out there see the same way is almost moving backwards in, you know, along the, the, the timeline of progress. You know, we, we built all the, we paved all this surface, we built all these roads, we made all these millions of gas guzzling cars and now we're saying, well, let's go back to, you know, 100 years ago or 150 years ago and, and where we actually walked to church and we walked to school and we walked to business. We're so spread out now, mm-hmm. you know, because of suburbanization and how that process occurred. But I'm kind of babbling on about it a little bit. But the... We're talking grand society. Like. That, that, that's, well, but that's, that's, you right. know, that's the way we got to think. Mm-hmm. We can't come in and say, well, and it might be that part of the process is... You know, we do have a vision, and what we can do right now is we can build a we can build a bike lane that connects uh, Barnett Shoals Road and College Station Road down Research Drive. We can do that right now, mm-hmm. so let's do it because that's one step in the in the, in the right direction. But that that step has to be the first step that's delineated on a broad vision that mm-hmm. says, you know, I'd love to be able to ride my bike to work. I, I work my office is on the corner of Millage and Broad. Mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, that's not practical for me to do now. And, but if there was a way that I could do that, and I'm sure there are, you know, there are people out there that are much more, uh, avid bike riders than I am that strap on their, uh, you know, their spandex and their helmets and and that wouldn't intimidate them at all. But that's, that's not everybody. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know anybody that wouldn't say, Oh, I'd love to be able to ride my bicycle Mm to, to the grocery store and pick up what I need. And I know we would do it, but we're, basically taking our lives in our hands right now mm-hmm. doing that. I would love to see a system where I can safely ride my bike from point A to point B. I can I can coexist with the cars on the road. Sarah and I can walk down and we 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 do it now. We will ride our bike down to some of the new that new restaurant in Ansonboro, Johnny's Pizza mm-hmm. and some of the other places down there. Um we do that on a regular basis and it's a lot of fun. I'd love to be able to expand that. So, but if we don't have a a broad vision of how to do that and it has to be thinking 30, 40 years down the road, okay, 40 years from now, how many, our population is going to be significantly larger than it Mm -hmm. is now. And it's going to be a regional population, not just, not just the Athens Clark County. You're going to be considering the metro areas around there. That's right. And the Madison. That's right. That's right. At the, at the rate of growth that we're experiencing around here, 
And as we say, okay, Lexington Road or Barnett Shoals Road is at its capacity right now. We need to develop a plan that can handle future capacity. That plan doesn't need to be, okay, how can we change Barnett Shoals Road right now to meet our capacity needs right now? It has to be 30 years from now. What is our what are our needs going to be on this road? And let's start developing. Let's let's draw an ideal picture of what this thing needs to look like 30 years from now. Mapping the trends in growth, the trends in population, and integrated into that has to be, you know, walking access and bike bike access, mm-hmm. because we're otherwise we're just going to. I mean, we're we're killing ourselves with mm-hmm. the way we're living right now. Um, and it's something's got to give. And we tend to be a very reactive society instead of a proactive society. And that's part of what's got us in this mess in the first place is now we've, we've, we've grown out of our plan. I'd rather grow into it instead of out of it. And that might be a lot of, you know, philosophical gobbledygook thinking way out. And, you know, I know there are real world right now. We have to do something right now issues. And, and, that, and, you know, Part of one of those is we've got this plan for the park and ride that you that mm-hmm. you talked about. We've got the federal government saying, "Here's a big chunk of money, build a park and ride," mm-hmm. and nobody can seem to agree on where it goes. That needs to be the first step mm-hmm. in this process. That needs to be the first you know the first link in the chain of thirty years from now. I want to be able to look back and say, "Man." We did the right thing, putting that parking ride exactly in the right spot. In, in X location. That's right, because you know I can I can park my car there. I can shuttle into the multimodal transportation center, and I can tra- mm-hmm. take a train to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, or I can ride my bike to the parking ride, hop on a shuttle, and wind up mm-hmm. wind up at the Atlanta airport in an hour and a half on a train mm-hmm. without even having to touch my car. Mm-hmm. And it um, that that's the kind of vision that we need. You know, I there are some specific issues about that park and ride that unfortunately might mean it is not going to be the candidate that we need for that very, for that first link in the chain, because Mm -hmm. that money's there right now. And if, if, you know, government's not going to let that thing go away. I mean, if somebody's throwing money at the government, the government's going to spend it. That's, that's the way that works. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we also have this, the, the talk about the biodefense, the agra, Mm -hmm. the, the, the new facility that the government's look, the federal government, Homeland Security, is looking at building over here on College Station Road, mm-hmm. and I think that park and ride could be a key element in that process as well. Because if that comes in, and if it does indeed employ the number of people that we're talking about, you know, four or five hundred people have jobs at that facility. The park and ride could be a a integral part of that, as far as keeping some of that. Automobile traffic, which it is going to be automobile traffic, where, you know, changing culture takes decades. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. They're going to, you know, and part of an incentive plan to bring that thing here might be that, hey, we can funnel workers in and out easily. You know, they can park their cars. They have easy access to their to the park and ride, say, if it was in the Cloverleaf at College Station Road. Mm-hmm. And they have easy access from, you know, the control points on the on the loop. They can get right in there, and they and they get shuttled back and forth to the to the defense facility over there. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that that specific issue is mated in the future is mated to that right. uh, to that the development, and we're trying to get that facility to come to Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, if that is not part of that, you know, the question becomes: Well, where else can we put it? 
if it's not part of the biodefense facility over there and or say, you know, we're we in the future don't get the biodefense facility and we've got a park and ride and, and it's a half a mile further out from the other parking decks on UGA's campus, it hasn't done us a whole lot of good mm-hmm. because it's then it's not an effective use of that money. It's it hasn't gone from an opportunity to be the start of a process to just an a short-term solution. Well, it would just it would pretty much then just bring more parking. I, I mean, That's I, exactly ideally, right. what you would want to see from parking around lot, I would imagine, would be something that would not only alleviate traffic but also. Um, well, I guess that's probably the main thing as well. I mean, it open up other alternative transportation ideas, but mm-hmm. to also primarily alleviate a lot of traffic congestion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the university has developed so, so many parking decks on campus that, you know, people, well, you've got a park and ride lot and it's, a, it's, it's, on, it's at College Station and the Loop, or I can stay in my car for two and a half minutes longer and drive to the parking deck that's just on the other side of the road and park there and not have to worry about taking, you know, adding 20, 30 minutes to my trip by waiting on a shuttle, getting on and off of a shuttle, sitting in traffic in the shuttle. I mean, it, it there, there's a potential for some issues yes. there and, and that not being the most effective use. Mm-hmm. And, but that's, that's assuming that it's not part of the development of, you know, the economic engine that would be that biodefense facility mm-hmm. over on College Station Road. Um, it, it, it's it's not going to be well served basically sitting right next door to an existing parking lot because right. I, I don't th- I think it'll go underutilized we'll have spent this money just for the sake of spending it paved over more uh, you know permeable surface just for the mm-hmm. sake of paving it just because they threw money at us so like I said if it, if it works in conjunction with the other you know the that federal government development mm-hmm. that would be I can see that being a good location for it if it's not going to work in conjunction with mm-hmm. that, we need to be looking further out for a park and ride lot because I don't I don't want to drive onto campus to catch a park and ride shuttle to campus basically, um, and we can you know there are areas I I I'm, I have no idea what would be a perfect an ideal area mm-hmm. for that but big picture wise I think it needs to be on the outskirts it needs to be where the traffic is coming into town you know our bedroom communities now are becoming Jackson County Oconee County. Mm-hmm. You know Madison County a lot to some degree. Oglethorpe, Oglethorpe is primed and ready to boom because it's. I mean that's Highway 78 running right mm-hmm. through there. So as the development occurs in those areas, we're going to get more. I mean everybody comes to live in this region because of the university. Mm-hmm. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean that's that's the that's the that's the 800 pound gorilla. That's the economic engine that drives this entire region. Whether you know, in whatever capacity, whatever relationship they have with the university, whether they work at it or they attend it, mm-hmm. or some of the other colleges and you know, mm-hmm. research-oriented stuff that we have around here, um, if as that continues to draw people, we're going to continue spreading out into Jackson. But those folks are still going to want to come in to go to work. They're still going to want to come in and go to, you know, go out to dinner and go to the movies and, and do the things that um, that Athens has to offer. So we need that park and ride lot needs to be bearing that in mind and saying, you know, that's where our need is not within one mile of the heart of town. Our need is on the outskirts, on the outskirts of town. And that's actually a good segue to sort of to, to the next question I had, which is um, utilizing some of those. Um, one of the issues that really has popped up on a lot of the, the local blocks here is, and it's being discussed in the community as well, is renovating and reutilizing the empty uh, big box shopping centers. Yeah. Um, some folks have talked about putting uh, 
the park and ride possibly now Willowwood Shopping Center. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've sort of been kind of initially hesitant to doing that because I'd like to see some sort of private uh, business go in there. Um, do you think that'd be a feasible option? And kind of bridge that into what what you kind of see to, or what, what your vision is for renovating it and reutilizing some of those empty spaces. Yeah, absolutely. We, we wound up, for years, we had a ton of them, a glut. We had the old Target space. We had the old Walmart out on Huntington Road. Um, where, where, there was another one too, I think. But it took some time. We eventually got you know decent tenants. Uh, Huntington Road still has some other uh, you know issues out there. But you know we got the Stephen Berries. We got that Academy Sports in those places. So I'm glad somebody was able to step up and say, let's renovate this thing and and, and go in here. I, I understand economically why businesses want to build new versus renovating old. It's cheaper. They can control. They can. They have a lot more control. Um, it, I mean, it's expensive to go in and gut an existing structure and convert it to update it and convert it to meet your needs. Whereas if you start from scratch, it costs less money. Mm-hmm. Um, the Willowwood Shopping Center. Overwhelmingly, people are always asking me, "What? Why can't we get Target to go in Willowwood? Because we've got the new Target out on Lexington right. Road that is moving forward rapidly mm-hmm. and more than likely is going to wind up out there." Um, it, but people say, well, we've got this empty shopping center sitting here. Why can't that go in there? Well, there are specific there are specific reasons why, as it sits, why Target would say, we don't want anything to do with that place. Mm-hmm. The question becomes, what can the government do? The government hears the voice of the people. The government is the people, mm-hmm. in theory. And the people say, we want before we want another new shopping center, we want to make sure we use our old existing space. So the government said, government hears that and says, all right, what they should be doing is, what can we do to make that happen? Mm-hmm. We voted on tax allocation districts and approved them. And, you know, we voted on trends. Well, I mean, the, the TDR program is in the works still. I think hopefully we'll see some, uh, some results from that soon. I know it's, it's got a lot of traction and people want that program. And mm-hmm. I, I know um, some of the commissioners are working very diligently on that process, getting that started. The, the government can should be able to utilize those programs and go to a developer or to, if we know that Target has an interest in here, and we know they do because they're selling at capacity out on Atlanta Highway at their new location, mm-hmm. they want another location because they know they can sell a ton of product. So they're gonna, they want to come here, and if we say to them, we want you to be here, but we want you to be in this, this is, this is the best spot for you. Mm-hmm. You might not see it that way, but here's how we're going to sweeten the deal to make this work for you. We're going to give you. We're going to we're going to turn this into a tax allocation district, so you can defer the expense of your property taxes as as that property develops. Mm-hmm. We're going to somehow um, offer you the the development credits from the TDR program that will allow you to have a a larger space on a smaller lot, which is the what's the holdup over here at Willowwood. Mm-hmm. The lot is not big enough, and there's multiple out parcels that are owned by different owners, and a lot of those folks have butted heads over in years past over different issues, like the sewage issue that happened over there. Um, there's a lot of reasons why nobody, you can't get everybody at the table, right? And so it's it's complicated. Um, but if the government steps in and says, "Listen, boys, we're all in this together." We want to make this thing work, and here's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you start offering, like I said, the, the TAD program, the TDR program, as incentives to facilitate that process. 
throw into the mix that two and a half million dollar park and ride lot. Mm-hmm. Don Nelson, I liked Don Nelson's idea mm-hmm. of integrating a park and ride with the redevelopment of that shopping center. I, I wouldn't want to see that park and ride just go in there just for the sake of being a park and ride. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be a longer range uh, process where we say it's going to take you, you know, it'll take two years to redevelop this thing, a year and a half to redevelop this thing. But when we're done, we're going to have something along the lines of, say, Atlantic Station mm-hmm. in Atlanta. That was, I, my understanding is that that was developed with, uh, tax, that was a tax allocation district that was I believe utilized. part of it was, yes. And it's, and it's a very multi-use, pedestrian-friendly, user-friendly facility, and it's doing incredible up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they've got, it's a, I mean, when you go into Ikea, you pull into a parking deck that is integrated in with that store, mm-hmm. but also serves other, you know, uh, the other properties there in Atlantic Station. Mm-hmm. I don't see why that couldn't, why, it, you know, if, if, like I said, it starts with a vision. Mm-hmm. It, it all starts with a vision. If you can think big and you can think outside of the box about these things and you get everybody at the table and if, the, like I said, if the government can offer the incentives, you know, the business, the, and to make the deal work financially, it'll come. Target, these, these retailers are going to be, they're going to think all they want, they want uh, the ability to function um, with the community, they want the ability to coexist with the government, and they want the ability to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And if you can satisfy those three needs, they will come. And if even if it's, it's uh, I mean, Atlantic Station is a perfect example because that property sat there for how many years with nothing going on? Right. And they said, oh, nothing will ever happen there. You can't do a thing in the world with that place because it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it took that, it took that, incentive it took thinking outside the box and it's it took some creativity but look at what they've got down there now i mean that that thing is a economic dynamo mm-hmm. and it, you know it's all retail and restaurant and residential um there's not you know industrial or manufacturing or anything integrated into that but like i said coming back to the idea about the park and ride lot you know we have a parking deck we can we can contribute two and a half million dollars towards Target's expense of what it would cost to do something mm-hmm. that they ordinarily wouldn't do because it's so much easier to just build a flat paved parking lot, you know, and control their access that way. But if we can throw two and a half million dollars into that pot as an incentive, we can defer their taxes through the tax allocation district. You know, we can sit down with the different property owners and say, guys, we got to work something out. We got to work something out. We can find a way to, to, to renovate your structures and get you all. That's right. Page That's right. So. You get, you can sell your out parcels and make your profit and everybody's happy. We all have to give a little bit, but everybody wins in the end. Mm-hmm. That's the true role of, you know, of uh, even a commissioner. I mean, a commissioner is somebody that can take the reins of something like that and make it happen. Mm-hmm. But you got to start, you, you, you have to start, um, Aggressively, and you have to start thinking outside the box because if we just sit back, like we, and it's human nature. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we talked about this earlier, but we tend to react as a culture instead of be proactive. You know, that land over there has been sitting on Lexington Road for years with nothing on it. You know, when low, years ago, when they first started talking about Lowe's, we saw Lowe's go in, Walmart go in. We knew that, okay, what comes with Lowe's? What comes with Walmart? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get a Home Depot. You know, we're obviously going to start. That growth is coming because these these. It's just like uh, the the. Well, it, the, it, it's a domino effect. That's right. It really is. It's that's an economic right. domino. What, how I've heard it, heard it referred to once is the the Burger King philosophy. 
McDonald's spends millions and millions and millions of dollars figuring out where's the best place in the country to put a next to put a new McDonald's. Burger King doesn't spend anything doing that. You know what Burger King does? They wait till McDonald's build <laughs> and they go and they buy the lot next to it. So they let them do all the work. And that's and that that's that like you said those ec- that economic domino effect it happens. It starts with the big retail and then it trickles down to the service, the restaurants, you know, all of the and then office that subsequently follows it. Um, we've had that property sitting over there for such a long time now and we haven't said you know, what, what have we done? We've had this opportunity. We knew that that, that's someday this thing, that, that domino is going to fall. Well, if we don't want that domino to fall, what can we do to stop that from happening? Hmm. Well, we've got these rundown retail centers, these, this area that's, I mean, face it, it's, it's economically depressed over there right now in the corner. I mean, you've got a massage parlor, you've got va- all that vacant grocery space in there. Mm-hmm. Something's got to give. Or that thing's just going to sit and continue to deteriorate. And, and it's and it's a very good location as well because if you have that Lowe's and you've got Walmart down the street and you can put something into that shopping center, as I've said, across the way is is the I believe the Southern Foods is empty now. That's right. That's a place for high end grocery right there. Come that, on, it's, Whole Foods. Come on, <laughs> Whole I'm with Foods you on that fresh market. I will we've, sign your petition. I swear. We've talked about that on the blog before. Yes, but that's but that's one of those places where you can see if something like that could happen. If if something if something something could come into Willowwood, Target or not, that was that had the credibility that could, that could bring something there. It would just be a domino effect yeah. after that, and yeah. things would fall into place over there. Yeah. And we get the benefit of control when we talk about smart growth, and I talk about controlling growth. I mean, you're going to see mailers and brochures and all this stuff coming from my campaign mm-hmm. and it's and it's it's utilizing that terminology mm-hmm. well you can't condense these ideas into a bullet point you know that that you drop off at somebody's house when you're asking them for their vote it's it's so much more complicated than that mm-hmm. but the big picture is that's what we talk about by managing growth that's what i mean that's where it belongs it belongs on lexington road it belongs at those intersections mm-hmm. you know it doesn't belong on Whit davis you know and if we're not careful that's where it's going to wind up. So, again, it's proactive thinking. It's saying the community has spoken. We want our shopping centers on one, two, three, four corners. You know, we want to control the access in and out. We want to funnel that traffic down the ideal corridor where it belongs, Lexington Road, Highway 78. We don't want it coming into our residential areas. We don't want it invading the tranquility of our neighborhoods and making it life-threatening experience to turn left, you know, to turn out of my neighborhood because there's so much traffic on the roads. And, you know, I want, oh man, if I could ride my bike to a fresh market or a whole Foods <laughs> over there, that'd be, that'd be a good day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what we're talking about. Okay. Um, well, it's just one, uh, a few more, and then we'll roll around to some of the, uh, the more for fun questions. The fun questions. Um, I suppose the, the other one that's, that's going on, um, is taking a look at a partners for prosperous partners for prosperous Athens, and they've released their uh, more specific recommendations. I believe there are seven, eight, nine, ten of those um, mm-hmm. going on right now. Um, wh- what area would you would you like to see? Because I know a lot of the, the stuff that's been coming out is is job training, um, is increasing options for childcare, um, um, is finding someone to coordinate the nonprofit efforts. In what area do you think you'd like to see more intention come to in the fight for poverty? I mean, I guess, is there a certain specific area that, that you think, you know, we talk about it, we don't really focus a whole lot on this specific aspect of combating poverty? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, it's such a complicated issue. Right. And I, I'm so excited 
about the work that the PPA did and, and such a great job, those folks. I mean, just a diligent, hardworking effort. What, it was over the process over a year. Over, over a year. It started, I believe, in January, February last uh, year. That's, that's just amazing. It it's, it's just speaks volumes about our community that you have that number of people willing to give up so much time to just really say we care about this and we do want to you know, be proactive about this issue. Um, there are so many facets to the poverty issue that are very complicated and you know we've got the economic development facet we've got the education facet housing I don't you almost don't even know where to start but I was um, talking at, at length the other day with a friend of mine who's in education and so, so many my wife's a labor and delivery nurse and she works over at Athens Regional and that's the public hospital in town so folks that you know are uninsured have their babies at Athens Regional. A lot of folks with insurance have their babies at Athens Regional too because it's a fabulous hospital and they do a great job. But Sarah sees every every single day just an unbroken chain of 13, 14, 15-year-old girls Mm -hmm. that come from single-parent families that are having kids, you know, out of wedlock um, on a regular basis. Some have two and three children. And she sees that every day. And those kids are... You know, in in five six years, they're starting in our school systems, and they're not starting. They just, from from the moment they're born, they're not on a level playing field because mm-hmm. they've been they've been handed a uh, it's an uphill climb. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's an uphill climb. So part of and it's uh, you know <laughs> it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky argument to make because. It, you know, it almost sounds like eugenics. You know, and, that's, well, and, and and you're speaking in more of a more of a societal term rather right. than than specific policy or something you can propose. And, and, that's right. And it, but it is a, it is a societal issue. And there are, you know, I think there are probably. And I saw in the PPA recommendations that they did address this. They talked mm-hmm. about, you know, the 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 children born into poverty and born into single parent families, born to young young parents, and the I mean those kids they. Life is life is going to be tough. It's going to be different than it was for you and me. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we've been fortunate and been blessed in our lives that that we didn't have to. That that burden was not something we had to deal with. So, what, what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. I mean, is, can the can the government say we talk about sex education in classrooms? Mm-hmm. Can the government say we provide we provide condoms in mm-hmm. schools? You know, what what are the steps that we can take to address that that cultural issue that we're having to deal with a societal issue well society's got to stand up and say that's the root of a lot of the problems that we're facing but that's just one facet of it right. you know the I, I'm, I'm passionate about housing issues I don't want to go on too much about the other thing but I'm, I'm passionate passionate right. about housing issues I want to see us develop incentives to develop affordable housing mm-hmm. um, it's it's tough it is extremely difficult to do I know a little bit about the real estate business and it I mean when you're dealing with the price of a lot that is a quarter acre lot and it costs, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars right there, bam. I mean you can't you if the definition of affordable housing is eighty thousand dollars or less, I know it I know it's sort of a fluid definition. I'm the I'm co chairing the housing portion of the steering committee for the revisions to the land use plan. Mm-hmm. And we're meeting right now. We're 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 starting, you know, that process is ongoing as we speak. And one of the things we were talking about the other day is how do you define affordable housing? Well, it, it, you know, it's a relative, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's relative it's to income. Ratio, and yeah. That's right. There's, there's so much, 
there's so many factors that go into it, but a, a, a fast and loose definition would say, you know, a two, a two or three bedroom house, uh, 1,000, 1,200 square feet that you can buy for $80,000. And you can't do that in Athens. Right now, you can't do that in Athens. The land is so expensive. The material costs are so outrageously expensive right now in building houses. You know, in the insurance business, I see what it costs to rebuild a house if it burns. And you're looking at, you know, builder grade now is close to $100 a square foot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a 1,000 square foot house just for the house, just for the sticks, the bricks, the nails, everything you need just to build the structure. 1,000 square foot houses using that model cost $100,000 to build. Mm-hmm. And then you add the cost of the land on top of that. And you see why it's so difficult to to say, well, affordable housing. You know, we just need to build more houses that cost $80,000. Okay, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's tough. So, again, it comes back to what what can what can our, our government, what can we do? You know, what can we mandate that this is a priority for us? How do we use the same sort of incentives that we did, we talked about with the shopping centers, you know, to, um, to incent developers and builders to say, you know, okay, you can make a big, big profit, you know, building multi-million dollar house down at Lake Oconee, or you can make a, a nice profit and you can build this affordable housing and, you know, we, here's the government programs in place that are help facilitate this process. And we also, we also need to acknowledge that Clark, I mean, Clark County is the smallest geographic county in the state. Mm-hmm. We do not have a lot of land. We do not have a lot of land. That's going to... That that, that that necessitates the market value of the land. That, that drives the, the property values up. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. But we live in a region that does have a lot of land. Mm-hmm. So if we start thinking outside of just Athens-Clark County, if we start, if we can start thinking as a, as a region of the state, mm-hmm. because our, our fates are intertwined whether we like it or not. And as, as dissimilar as Boulevard may be from Crawford, Georgia, you know, or Maxie's, Georgia, mm-hmm. our fate is when we start t- talking about the, f- the future of, you know, your, your new baby on its mm-hmm. way and, and your grandkids someday mm-hmm. there, cause they're going to be dealing with these issues collectively as a region, a lot more so than we are right now in a- Athens alone, which was a sleepy little town. For you know, exactly. Ago. Exactly. So having said that the affordable housing issue needs to, we need to be bringing in mm-hmm. some of the outlying areas because we just don't, we don't have the, 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 the geography, the land right. space to boldly address, you know, um, the fact that there are no 80,000, there are no truly affordable houses and mm-hmm. how difficult it is to build them in Athens, Clark County. So that's part, that's, you know, another facet of it. Um, and we, you know, economic development is key mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. And I, I think the future economically of this area is going to be, in the you know research, bio research, agri- agricultural research, the things, the strengths that UGA mm-hmm. is known for, and if we can uh, court those businesses, you know the medical school, the possibility of bringing in a new research and medical school facility onto the Navy School campus, we're talking about a you know just changing the dynamic of strengthening the dynamic of Athens and and, mm-hmm. and what we're really good at, working in partnership with Athens Tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, the and the local schools, which I know the local the the school board has got um, so uh, the vocational aspect of their of their uh, educational process and how that feeds how that can feed into Athens Tech and training workers to go work at this you know which this biodefense facility that we could get 
over here on College Station and employ 500 people. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that that's the direction we have to be headed in. It's not everybody can can get a CPA degree and go be an accountant or you know go to law school. In fact, it's a very slim margin of folks that 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 do those things. We need to be you know real frank with our talk about what you know what what people can do as careers, what kind where, where the jobs are, where the need is. And in this area, that's you know I think that's that's definitely the future of uh, the economic development around here. At least at least a big part of it. Okay. Part of it. All right. Well, the, the last uh, last one before we roll on to some of the more laid back questions. Um, uh, Commissioner McCarter is, is resigning, um, and you talk to everyone about him, and everyone says that his greatest strength was how connected he was with his his um, constituents and the folks who live in District Eight. That even if you vehemently disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. The man returned your phone call, he returned your email. So yeah, I'd imagine, you know, um, both you and Andy would um, would want to try to emulate that kind of characteristic and try to emulate that type of responsiveness. Mm-hmm. In that regard, in, or in, in what regard, will you be different from States McCarter as a commissioner? Ooh. Do you like how I did that? I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's a reporter somewhere inside me, and it comes out. Yeah, um, states, and I'll just you know reiterate what you said. And states is a good friend of mine, and the states and his wife Jane McCarter are just wonderful people. They live a little ways down the block here from us, but we've enjoyed knowing them as long as we've lived here. And um, states, his energy level is something that I you know I'm I'm half his age, and I can't keep up with the man. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And you're right. You will never send him an email or a phone call that that doesn't go unreturned. Mm-hmm. Um, he his dedication, his personal knowledge of his constituency. You we could go knock on his door and say, "Hey, states, let's go for a walk." And we'll walk around this neighborhood, 652 houses in this neighborhood alone, and he could tell you something about almost every single house or who lives in it or who who used to live in it. He just, it's an it's amazing capacity to relate on an individual level to his constituents. I've never seen anything like it. And they're, they're definitely big shoes to fill. One thing that you said was whether you vehemently disagree with him or whether you agree with him. There are people that have vehemently disagreed with states on different issues. And states is a strong-willed person. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very plain-spoken and he, he speaks his mind without question. He doesn't hold back. Um, the the drawback of that is there are people that sometimes don't, you know, you get two strong-willed people that just butt heads, and sometimes you just reach an impasse, and there it's it's tough to find a way to, to compromise. And my strength, you know, I I I've got friends on all all across the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, we don't agree with each other all the time on every single issue. There's but it's unrealistic to think that we would, but the question remains, we're still friends. We still communicate, we still get along, and we can still work together. And I know that I can um, take that strength into the commission seat. The ability to get beyond the fact that, well, we might not agree on this issue, but we still have to work together on the next issue. On the next issue. Or this issue. Or this issue, that's exactly right. And the ability to to get beyond to get beyond that impasse, and uh, it 
that that's that's a strength that I've always that I've always had, and and something that I've worked hard to um, to facilitate in myself and my own growth is the ability to negotiate, to compromise, and to really understand other people's points of view. I mean, we we talked about Laporta del Sol a while ago, and I talked. I mean, I filled up your hard drive probably <laughs> talking so much about it, but it's because I, you know, when I, when an issue comes up, I want to know how you think about it mm-hmm. and I want to know how my neighbor thinks about it. And I want to know how the guy on the other side of the neighborhood thinks about it. And all three of them might think differently, but I want to understand their point of view. Mm-hmm. And because somewhere in the middle of all that is the solution and is the truth. And you, you have to be able to, facilitate as a commissioner you have to be able to facilitate that process and you, ha- you have to sort of be the glue that binds everything together um, and I know that that's a strength that I have okay well alright uh, well we'll do a little we'll relax now a little more right. casual let me take my tie off <laughs> uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Athens Clark County hmm favorite restaurant you know if it was strictly by volume of consumption over the years I probably have spent more meals in the plantation buffet on highway 441 (laughs) than just about any other place Um, definitely one of my favorites and it's the line out the door at lunchtime would tell you why because it's so good Uh, Sarah and I probably our favorite place to eat dinner on a regular basis would probably be the grit or we're also big fans of Five Star Day, and yeah. we're excited to see. I was going to say the one over here on the east side. That's right, and that was you know we go in there on a pretty regular basis, and it's you sometimes you got to fight to get a table because <laughs> everybody else feels the same way about it. So there are a lot of good restaurants. That's another, that's just such a cool thing about Athens. It's like you go to Gwinnett County. Well, where do you want to go out to eat? Hmm. Well, we could go to the Olive Garden. We could go to you know. It's like chain, chain, like chain, I'm chain, going chain. To eat with my grandma. Exactly. Yeah. Or Apple. Ooh, let's go. Ooh, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's Applebee's. Yeah. I mean, we got an Applebee's. If you want Applebee's, go to Applebee's. Was, well, I mean, that's the story of me growing up with my with my uh, my birthday every year. It, it was I didn't have a choice. It was you think you you know growing up I get to pick my birthday dinner. No, yeah. it was the grandma's going to go to either Olive Garden or Red Lobster. So <laughs> I, if I never, I mean, again, and I, they still I can, do go to I Red can, Lobster at lunchtime. If I come home with uh, if I go home to Augusta and take out my grandma to lunch, oh, we're going to Olive Garden. She's getting the soup and the salad, the breadsticks. That's right. So, but we're so lucky to have, and you know, places like Bruno Rubio's place. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so much cool stuff and places to eat. We ate at the uh, the new Indian restaurant downtown the other night, and it was excellent. I don't know if you've been in there yet or not. The Taste of India. You know, this is it's hysterical because Andy asked me the same thing yesterday, but because he he liked Indian food, and Kelly Gertz took me to lunch at. Um, the one on broad across from the arch, I guess it's the new one. Is that Taste of India or is that Taste the- of India? Is the one that's on the far left corner of the bottom of that big apartment? Yes, building. that's where I went. And it, it, and I am sure with the was- cloth tablecloths. Yes, that one. yeah. Okay, I'm sure it's very good Indian food. I just do not think I'm an Indian food fan. <laughs> everyone, Fair everyone who was there seemed to really enjoy it, and yeah. I, I thought it was okay. But I could say, you know what? I can respect this. I am sure that Fair enough. With regard to Indian food, this is bang up. I had a similar experience in New York a few years ago. We were our best friends. We were up in New York, and she wanted to go to an Ethiopian restaurant. That's an Ethiopian restaurant. Just isn't. I don't know if there's even a if there's a. Uh, I, I'm not that's sure. That's an oxymoron kind of, or not. I'm not sure what kind of what kind of food they would serve. There, <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. So, but it, I had a similar experience there, and but I, you know, it's it's fun to be able to try different things yeah. and I'm glad for that opportunity in Athens because it does not exist mm-hmm. in other communities. Uh, what is your favorite band, musical 
singer. Ooh. And not just local. We're talking. Yeah. Favorite band, musical singer. You want me to pause? So you can yeah, my doorbell's ringing. Let's pause it. Hold on one second. Okay, we, we paused briefly. Uh, Sorry about that, folks. It, this is and this we we had to delay start because David had someone knocking the door. So he he's a busy man today. <laughs> so, but your your favorite band? Uh, well, you know, I've I could probably bring my iPod in here and we could shuffle through it and come up with some good ideas. I was thinking about this last night because we were listening. I don't know if I have so much a favorite band as like individual performers. Sure. Um, definitely at the top of the list is probably Bob Marley for me. And I'm also a big Prince fan. I know some people would sort of wonder at that. But that's very cool, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, big Prince fan. We got to see him a few couple years ago at the Phillips Arena, and we were in the front row. Pretty cool. It was it was a, a, a life changing experience <laughs> I, for for a musician and somebody. Every time I every time I listen to music, I always do it from a an instrumentalist and performance sort of perspective. The way I think about things and. You know, some some people like to listen to the lyrics. I don't listen to the lyrics so much. I listen to like the musicianship and mm-hmm. just mind blowing how good he is. But you know, Marley, I'm a big big fan of uh, older R and B and so Wilson Pickett, perhaps. Uh, yeah, Wilson Pickett, more like Al Green and, uh, and Otis Redding, stuff like that. Um, listen to a lot of that. Listen, listen to a lot of reggae. Peter Tosh is one of my favorites too. And I'm trying to think. If there's anybody new, Sarah got me listening to Coldplay a couple years ago, and that's I can't do it. I tried. I can't really. It I, we went to we went to see him in concert, and I just at that point I hadn't really appreciated him that much, and I didn't have a very good time. And I like him more now. It, it's uh, you know, it took some getting used to for me though. So, well, what was the last concert you went to? Last concert we went to, we went and saw the Whalers at the Georgia Theater last week. Okay. Yeah. So that's easy. We saw Amy Mann. I think that was before before that. We recently saw Amy Mann in concert too, and she, she was, the, was she over the Steampunk? Yeah, that's right. That's I wanted to go to that. I heard it was a good show. Good. It was really good. Um, I, Hillary made fun of me for putting this question on here, but because <laughs> I didn't realize, I, I honestly did not realize that I was posing it and that it's going to come across as pandering. I was going to put favorite local blog, but I, I, it comes across <laughs> as pandering. houses. So. Come on. Uh, oh no no! For Hillary's sake, anti disingenuous mm-hmm. material. How do you know how to pronounce I, I can't do it either. Hillary's blog. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what was the last book you read? The last book I read. Um, I usually have five or six books going on at any given time. Right now, I'm close to completing uh, a really good biography of John uh, of John Audubon, John James Audubon, and by a guy named Richard Rose. Okay. It's called The Making of an American. And it's sort of the chronicle of his exploits and his development of the birds of North America back in you know the early 1800s through that 30-year process of him mm-hmm. painting that and, and compiling that. That was really good. Um, let's see what else have I read recently. I'm reading a, another one. A it's a story of the the family. It's called the Levy family. And if anyone's familiar with Monticello and Jefferson's home mm-hmm. in Virginia, uh, the Levy family. He was a a Jewish admiral in the Navy pre-Civil War era and Jefferson basically died broke and they had to auction off everything he owned and ultimately it, the Levy family this um, the guy's name was Uriah Levy and they bought the Monticello estate and single-handedly saved it from obs- obscurity and destruction hmm. and 
in that process, it was it's sort of a development. It's sort of a, a story about you know being Jewish in America in the early 1800s and um, you know intertwining that story with the Civil War and the the, the 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 impending Civil War and the process of historical historical you know the early inklings of historical preservation and acknowledgement that this is something big. Happening. That's right. This is this is yeah. important. And he was at the at the very beginning of that process and that evolution of American thinking. And he was a really unique, interesting person in general. He was the he was the he single handedly he was court martialed like five or six times because they didn't like him. They, they because he was a high ranking officer in the navy who was Jewish, and that didn't sit well with in the early eighteen hundreds with other other folks and with some people at least. So they tried to make his life difficult. He never was successfully court martialed. And one of his lasting, uh, one of the other lasting things, benefits of, of his life was that he was the guy that outlawed corporal punishment by lashing in the Navy. Wow. And up until that point, it was like, you know, Billy Budd or something, with like a Herman yeah. Melville novel where yeah. they, they strap you to the, to, to the mast. And, that's a so. very specific yeah. thing to wipe out there. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I've always got five or six books going on at you're, any given time. And You're, um, you're much like me, actually. The, my, my post this morning on my blog was about the, the four books I'm currently reading. So um, I used to be more linear where I'd start. I don't. I can't work that way with and, books. I get. Uh, yeah. I get so interested in doing something else. So. That's right. It, it, life got so much more complicated. You know, over the past ten years, it's like I have to bring in more input whenever the opportunity <laughs> arises. So. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie of all time or sure. recently? Whew. Let's see. These are these are tough. Yeah, these are the hard ones. I, I was just yeah. setting you up with all. I mean, I can talk about wonky stuff. Exactly. Right? I can talk about TDRs all day long. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'd say Lawrence of Arabia is at the top of the list for all-time favorite movies. Um, definitely a big fan of, I, you know, I like a lot of weirder movies that people that didn't get a lot of traction. Like I was always a fan of the Kids in the Hall. I don't know if you ever saw the Kids in the Hall movie. I know. Brain Candy, like that's one of my favorites. Oh, Brain Candy. Yeah, I saw yeah. parts of Brain Candy. Yeah, but people are like that's one of your favorite movies. That's retarded. <laughs> no, it's great. It's a great movie. So. Let's see. What have we seen recently? Um, it's it's tough to find time to watch movies. We watched the De- I watched The Departed the other night. That was pretty good. And prior to that, I think we'd seen some meaningless fluff. A few of them, like uh, Employee of the Month, that kind of thing. So we don't rent as many movies as we used to. I commented that I saw I watched Blade Trinity on consecutive days. Really, that was pretty bad. <laughs> We watched a Little Miss Sunshine, and that was excellent. So if you get good. a chance to yeah, watch we, we went and saw that one. That was a good one. It was Definitely really good. Really good. So uh, the not Letters from Iwo Jima, but the one before that, um, oh, Flags uh, of Our Fathers. Fathers. Yeah, I heard the Letters from Iwo Jima was was much better because really? it was such a unique perspective of the movie. Yeah, so. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And then uh, finally, uh, what's the best thing about living in Athens, Clark County? Best thing about living in Athens, Clark County. Oh, man. I think the opportunity to always have something cool to do in Athens. Mm-hmm. You can go to a show. You can eat at a great restaurant. You can. We can come home and stand in our backyard surrounded by oak trees that are 100 years old. Mm-hmm. We can – Sarah plays in the symphony. She can play in the symphony. Mm-hmm. We can – you know, all the cultural and educational opportunities that we can enjoy here. Mm-hmm. 
coupled with the environmental qualities that you know still exist in so much of Athens, the, the historic buildings. I mean, look out around you. I mean, the number of trees out here, the quality of life here is is like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, you can go to, I mean, you could go live in Eufaula, Alabama, and have lots of trees and lots mm-hmm. of neat old houses, but you wouldn't have yeah. anything to do on a Friday mm-hmm. night. <laughs> and Athens, you've got the best of both worlds, absolutely, without question. All right. Well, David, I, I, we were starting. I, I didn't think you would be able to beat Andy. Andy talked about an hour yesterday, and I think you got him by 11 minutes here. Oh, so man, I'm sorry. Hopefully folks have uh, tuned in to, to listen to this. If they've zoned out, um, well, shame on them. Uh, but, David, thank you so much for letting me come here, and I appreciate you spending some time with us. And, it's my uh, pleasure. Good luck in the, uh, for the rest of the race. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Have an issue, person, or event you'd like to discuss in a political podcast but don't want to commit to a recurring show? If you have your own equipment, you can make a recording and post it to our site as an MP3. Email us at info at gapodcastnetwork.com to find out how. If you don't have your own equipment, you can leave interviews, reports, and rants up to 10 minutes long on our voicemail system by calling 678-389-9441. Thanks for listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network. Visit us at gapodcastnetwork.com. You heard Can I Be a Star by Bernshee Thornside, which is available at magnatune.com.